you okay? Let me give you the greetings from the brothers and sisters in Christ at Reformed Presbyterian Church in Dwaynesburg. They are having their uh, picnic today. It'll be a warm uh, picnic and uh, greetings from my family as well. Uh, they are there participating in that and with this year we have two exchange students living with us this month from Spain as well. Um, of course, as most of you would know that we are currently uh, MTW missionaries uh, raising support to go to Spain. So in a sense for us, it's like the field comes to us. We get to learn more. It's training and it's a great time. Uh, we have a great time with the uh, uh, exchange students. This is our fourth and fifth exchange students that we've had in our house in the last few years. Thank you so much for your support of our ministry. Your prayers keep us moving along every day, taking the next step as the doors open for us. And it's great to be back here worshiping with you again this morning. Uh, turn with me, if you would, then, to Galatians chapter 1. Our portion of scripture this morning comes from the very beginning of the book of Galatians. I'm going to read from Galatians uh, 1, verses 1 through 5, and we will focus on verses 3 through 5. This section is Paul's greeting and introduction at the beginning of the letter to the churches in Galatia, which would be what we would now think of as modern Turkey. And sometimes we just start reading it, Paul an apostle, and, and move right through, but it's worth stopping for a second and thinking, Paul an apostle. Isn't this the same one that was Paul the persecutor? And somehow he was changed by the knowledge of and, and, and meeting the risen Christ. And then he planted churches in these areas as he went on mission. He went from being an enemy trying to stop the church to being a leader of the church and the author of such a large portion of our New Testament. But now he's writing for a different reason. The churches that he planted are falling into an error. He's frustrated by that, confused, perplexed, and even anger, angry with a righteous anger. And he's writing from that state of mind, hearing about what's happening in the churches there. He writes to remind them and rebuke them and correct them. And what was the problem? The churches were forgetting the essential nature of the gospel. They were forgetting the cross of Christ. They were losing the idea of what they learned about how God's salvation works. So we're not talking about a minor thing. They're not arguing about what songs should be played or what color the carpet should be or what paint the walls should get. No, but a major thing one of top priority, the understanding of the person and work of Christ. See, they were moving to different Gospels, or moving back to an older way of understanding that pointed to Christ, but they were missing that. Going back into an older way of life of following the law, absent of Christ. And Paul says there's only one true Gospel. That is the sacrifice of Christ for sinners, 
to purchase their salvation. And it's all by grace. Nothing can be added. There's nothing to go back to. And yet, even though there are problems and he's frustrated and writes to correct them, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he offers grace and peace to them. And so this letter presents an extremely important message to the church. And if it was important at that time, and it's been preserved for us, there's an extremely important message for you this morning. So listen as I read from Galatians, verses 1 through 5. And as I mentioned, we'll pay particular attention to verses 3 through 5. Hear God's word. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of and preaching of his holy word. Shall we pray? Father, in your presence, we now ask that you would be gracious to us, gracious to your people in the preaching of your word. Jesus, our great high priest, we ask you to intercede for us on our behalf. And as our great king, we ask that you would rule and reign over us and have your will be done in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so open our hearts to receive your truth and open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your word, especially hearing again the great news of Christ's death and resurrection for the salvation of sinners in need of rescue and redemption. Lord, please do this for our good and most importantly for your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I think the last time I was here, and thank you so much for that luncheon. It was a great time of worship and uh, talking to people about the ministry. It was right at the beginning of summer. It was just early June, I think, and it was right after uh, Memorial Day. And I wonder, if you think about Memorial Day, did you notice anything that might remind you of M Memorial Day in this passage? Look again, for example, at verse 4 who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. In a way, this reminds us of Memorial Day, the way we talk about the service of soldiers in giving their life in battle. It reminds us of Memorial Day not because of uh, the three-day weekends, the barbecues that everybody thinks of, the official start of summer that we are now clearly right in the middle of, um, in the warm days, but that true meaning of Memorial Day. And so, 
At the end of May, when we go to celebrate in towns throughout the area, they hang Memorial Day banners on the streets. I don't know, do they do that in Boston Spa as well? Many towns do this, where they remember fallen service members by putting up banners with pictures and also dates of service. And it's a harsh reality sometimes to think their date of service, the end date of their service, was also the end of their life. And what's commonly said as we describe those fallen service members is that they paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we may have our freedom preserved. And so in a similar way, our passage this morning mentions an ultimate sacrifice. Christ's perfect sacrifice on the cross. And it points us to some freedoms that we have as Christians because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. So this is God's message for you this morning. Because Christ gave himself for our sins, we are freed from this present evil age. We are freed to serve in God's kingdom. And we are freed for worship. Let me summarize that again. Christ gave himself for our sins, that we might be free from this present evil age to serve in God's kingdom and worship him now and forever. So before we look at those freedoms, let's consider what it means that Christ gave himself for our sins. One more time, hearing verses 3 in the beginning of 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Paul writes to a church that he's trying to correct and is frustrated with grace and peace to you. He writes about grace, just like we sang about in the hymn. That's God's favor, that divine favor to the sinner showing love to an enemy, patience, and salvation to those he chooses. And he talks about peace, that peace that is rooted in a Hebrew concept of shalom, a wholeness, a state of well-being. That's the kind of peace, not just absent from conflict, but a state of well-being. And a state that only God can provide and keep us in. And who does Paul say that the grace and peace comes from? God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the source of grace and peace. The source, the origin of it, is the only living and true God. And Paul says it's our Father. It's another example in Scripture that speaks of God's people being in relationship with him, active relationship with him. And it reminds us of being part of a family in the church. And so it is this grace and peace which comes to us in Christ giving himself for our sins on the cross. Consider the phrase, gave himself for our sins. 
What do we mean by gave himself? In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10 and verse 45, we have a helpful description. Mark 10:45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So it reminds us that Christ came to give his life as a ransom. Now this phrase gave himself, if you just heard it in passing, you might think, gave himself a gift? Did I, like I got a bonus at work and I decided to take that money and give myself something. That is not what he did. Rather, he is the gift. He gave himself, he gave his own life. He was sacrificed for others. And so in that way, it becomes a summary of the work of Christ on the cross. This reminds us of his sin-bearing death on the cross, where he took on the wrath of God so that we might have his righteousness. There is a substitution there. And so in the church, we call it a substitutionary atonement, meaning God's sacrifice covers, it pays for, it satisfies the debt of sin. And in doing this, his people are saved from the penalty and power of sin. And so it's his once offering himself as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice. And in doing so, reconcile sinners to God. Paul, in another place, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 8, and verse 32, put it this way. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So this helps us understand what it means in our passage that Christ gave himself for our sins. Another question you might ask is, who is Paul talking about when he says, our, gave himself for our sins? It's true, he's speaking to the churches in Galatia, those in the visible church. And more specifically, God's word teaches that, that God calls, he chooses before the foundation of the world to redeem a people to himself. These are the ones formerly dead in their sins, born again from above, receiving the gift of repentance and faith, becoming God's people. This passage confronts us with a truth based on that justice of God. Something needed to be done for sin. Sins are real. They can't be excused away. And they're serious because God is holy. And to avoid the wrath of God due to sin, something needs to be done about it. And so, in a sense, there's bad news that we can't do anything of our own to pay for that. But the good news is Jesus gave himself for our sins, that Jesus 
could and he did do it. Is this how you understand the work of Jesus Christ? It's essential to have faith in Christ, understanding his sacrifice in order to have peace with him. And so it's so encouraging to see the beginning of a church service with even the young children being reminded of this essential. And it's a chance for us to think about it again, afresh in this new week. Is this the gospel that changed us and continues to change our lives? It should never be taken for granted, grow old or tiresome. But let this message be fresh and encouraging as you think about it. See, this is Paul's main gospel message, and people were beginning to forget it, undervalue it, and go back to old ways. Did you notice in verse 1, there's a mention of Christ's resurrection? Paul says, he was sent by God through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And it's Christ's death and resurrection that shows that this was the once-for-all sacrifice that brings forgiveness of sins and eternal life. This is the main gospel message for Paul. It's the one he's contending for. It's the one that God wants us to contend for. It's the message for us, the church, today. Christ gave himself for our sins. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to the first of the freedoms the rescue from this present evil age. Because Christ gave himself for our sins, we are freed from this present evil age. This is what we're told in verse 4. What is the purpose of Christ giving himself? It tells us that he is going to, he frees us from a present evil age. That is, he rescues us delivers us, frees us from the present evil age. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't see it. The newspaper won't change necessarily when you open it up and see bad stories or go online. You might see headlines that sound where there's evil in the world. It can't be that. It's something different. There's a couple passages we could consider about this. What does it mean, present evil age? Here's a verse Here's two verses that are helpful from the letter to Colossians. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Again, Paul writes, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then also in Titus chapter 2. Titus 2, 14. who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And so we can see there are two sides. There's an evil age under the power of darkness, without forgiveness. 
And then there's a kingdom, God's kingdom of light, where forgiveness has been granted and the dominion of sin no longer reigns. We need rescue from that one of darkness and be brought in to God's kingdom through Christ. Maybe you heard this story earlier this summer of a hiker who was in Hawaii and was missing for, I think it was 16 days. She was in great danger. She, everyone was out searching for her. At the same time, tourists were visiting Hawaii and life went on. And here she was, lost with people vacationing around her, the dangerous world, trapped, running out of time. She needed to come out of that one wilderness where she was running out of time, needed food and water, etc., and come back into the world that she lived in, and she was rescued. So it is with this present evil age that people need to be rescued by Christ out of it. We need a rescue. It's not just so that we can stay away from the world. We need to be taken out of it in terms of forgiveness of sins and the dominion of the power of sin. But our sin makes us present, part of the present evil age in a sense. Sin in the fall brings terrible consequences, brings difficulty in life or affliction. It pollutes our lives, creates a sin debt, requires a penalty, and without Christ, it ends up in separation from God without any peace. It reminds us we need that rescue from the present evil age, rescue from the penalty of sin and dominion of power of sin. That's why it's such good news that when we needed a rescue from one kingdom of darkness into the other, Christ gave himself for our sins for that very purpose, perfectly sacrificing. And by his resurrection, proving that that was acceptable to God. You can trust in it. We are freed, we are rescued from this present evil age when we trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. Have you done that? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? He offers that in the gospel this morning. Now this rescue does not just free us and leave us alone. He doesn't rescue us as in taking a person out of a river that they're in trouble and putting them on the bank of the river and say, you're on your own. He doesn't just leave us, but rather he brings us out of danger into a safe place. But more than that, in addition to that, he brings us into his plan of redemption, still unfolding in the lives of his people through the local church. And so in that sense, we are freed to service in God's kingdom. Because Christ gave himself for our sins, we are freed to serve in God's kingdom. Now, look at where it says in ver at the end of verse 4. All of this was done to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. According to the will of our God and Father. Now, 
in its most simplest form here, what it's saying is, this happened according to God's desires. In other words, nothing influences him. Nothing makes him do the things that he does. He plans it out, he promises things, and he carries that out. It's all done according to his will, his mere good pleasure. And yet, that's true, but we're, we know something more about his plan than that. He has shared more about his plan. And so it reminds us of something more. There's a plan of redemption that he's carrying out according to his will. We are not just rescued and left alone. You're not just rescued and left alone. You're brought into fellowship with God and with others in the church. And so, I think we saw it in the video. Ephesians 2.10 talked about being created for good works that God prepared beforehand. You are redeemed for a purpose. Now, if you continue reading the book of Galatians, Paul will spend quite a bit of time at the end of the letter talking about this in Galatians 5 and 6. There are two ways that Paul will later talk about this. He describes a change in the believer to have fruit, right? Fruit of the Spirit. And also, like Ephesians, to do good works. In Galatians 5, he talks about fruit of the Spirit. Having been rescued, delivered from the present evil age, serving in God's kingdom comes with the fruit of the Spirit. And so this is a chance to consider once again the fruit of the Spirit as well. Maybe study them this week. Maybe reread them. Pray for God's guidance and the Spirit's leading in areas where He wants you to grow and, and um, increase in fruit of the Spirit. And after talking about fruit of the Spirit, He moves on in chapter 6 to talk about good works. In Galatians 6, we see part of the good works are bearing with one another, how people get along in relationship, helping each other with burdens, being generous, all things that come from a recognition of God's grace in your life. And so it's that chance to be reminded of what the video that started at the service showed. God has prepared good works for you in advance. It's very clear. Paul didn't think that people were rescued to be on their own, to go off on their own, maybe back into their old ways. It's clear he didn't mean that they were rescued and then they should go back to doing those works of the law to give them confidence that they're right with God. His message to the churches in Galatia, God's message for you today, is a call for godly living and service in his kingdom through the church and to keep Christ and his gospel at the center. To keep Christ and his gospel at the center of your lives. Well, there's one more freedom to look at in this passage because not only are we freed from the present evil age, not only are we free to serve in God's kingdom, but a very important one here. 
freed to worship. Because Christ gave himself for our sins, we are freed for worship. Paul ends in verse 5 by when he describes our God and Father. He says, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul seems to do this from time to time when he's writing letters. It's a, it's a quick switch right into worship and praise. Sometimes we call it doxology. He exhorts us in this way to praise God and give glory to God out of gratitude. And what are we grateful for? That gift of Christ and his rescuing us from our sins. And so we worship out of gratitude for what God has done for us on the cross, who he is, how he brings us into service into the kingdom, how he cares for us and guides, for us, guides us now. That sense of worship can be brought into your lives this week, into, into work, in your family, in your any daily devotions you might do. That sense of worship comes from reminding ourselves of Christ's giving himself for us. And what's interesting is this worship is something that is not just for a present age, but it's something that we do forever. Do you see the contrast there? We're taken out of a present age and we worship him and give him glory forever. It's even a little bit more um, presented a little more strongly in the original language where it says, one present age you're taken out of, rescued out of, but you give glory for ages of ages. One age compared to what we would say is forever. And so when we gather on Sunday morning and we worship Christ for what he's done for us, we worship Father, Son, and Spirit for the plan of redemption and their, holy, and their holiness, his holiness. We are praising now as part of what we will do forever. And it's a foretaste of heaven, isn't it? Think back to the Old Testament. In the after the Exodus, God's people were in bondage and need to be, needed to be freed from Pharaoh, right? And what was to happen when they were freed? They were to be set apart, brought into the wilderness to worship in the presence of God. We can also think about this, the picture that's described in Revelation 4. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So Paul says, our God and Father is to be given glory forever. Does this passage encourage you to worship this week? Maybe to consider ways to give glory and praise to God throughout the week? 
One of the most helpful ways is to see the person and work of Jesus, trust him, recognizing freedom to worship. And so we praise God who saves by grace and brings us peace. Well, we've worked through our passage. And in conclusion, let me uh, describe a picture I saw while driving last night. I don't know if the thunderstorms, did they come through here? last right around at our house around sunset last night and I was driving west the, the storm was coming in so we're driving into the storm and got very dark a lot of lightning thunder rain and just all the way up ahead almost exactly in front of me I could see a little patch of blue sky like the storm was ending it was a really beautiful picture but I had this strange thought that I'm going to share we might be tempted to think that that's what the Christian life is like, that we're just kind of waiting in the storm to get through it. Just gotta bear with the storm until finally it passes. But if we do that, I wonder if we start thinking that God's power isn't working now in our lives. That we're just waiting, it's gotta be to bear it out. That we're not seeing him work around us. And when that happens, are we tempted to do what the Galatians did? Not find our joy in the most essential thing, but rather go back to old ways or even focus on ourselves because things are bad, focus on ourselves and try to find wellness through the world's ways. But thankfully, this letter to the Galatians reminds us what a mistake that is. Because it tells us to fully trust and rely on the person and work of Christ alone. This won't mean that we won't face storms, but it certainly will mean it changes the way we face them. And so be on watch this week. Be on watch this week. When you hear false ideas and teachings about what really brings peace and wellness. Be on watch for teachings that minimize God's work of redemption. That try to downplay or, or ignore completely God's work of redemption in Christ. And then, of course, those false ideas try to replace them. They try to replace that good news of Christ with other ways to have peace and be well. But be like Paul. When Christ was being minimized by the Galatians, what did he do? When Christ was being minimized by the Galatians, Paul responded by magnifying him in this letter. And he calls on God's people to do the same. So when Christ is minimized around us this week, let us make him greater. Because Christ gave himself for our sins that we might be free from this present evil age, that dominion of sin, in order to serve in his kingdom and worship him now and forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would decrease so that you would increase. Help each of us here to fully trust and rely on you this week. 
to see you are with us and that your plan of redemption is being carried out and it is carried out through the church. So I pray for your blessing on the work of this church, the preparations for the camp, the visits from missionary. Bless this church. Increase in love for you and desire to serve you and to make your name great here in Boston Spa. Bless us this week, oh Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.